Daniel Levy loves a good sacking. If it isn't sacking managers, then it's sacking caretaker managers. The big question is now, who's going to be the next sucker to have to work with this tight-minded chairman? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Arsenal's chances of a title have taken a major blow. Spurs are gone full-blown Spursy and Pochettino to Chelsea is looking more and more likely. Dave, okay, let's go with Daniel Levy because he decided again at the weekend that the best idea to sort out Spurs' woes was to get rid of another manager. Yes, he was a caretaker manager only in the role uh, a couple of weeks. Where did they go from here? Um, Look, I think, I don't think it's fully all on Daniel Levy. I think it's very much the the, the word of the day or the word of the week or the month when it comes to just let's all start playing the owners now instead of the managers. Like, I think Levy made a big mistake in, in not getting rid of the full coaching staff and, and kind of just going with Ryan Mason or, or whoever was available at the time, your Nagels and Enriquez or whoever it may be. But look, Levy has shelled out over 500 million since 2019 uh, and they've invested in a perfectly good stadium and they seem to be a, a fairly solid working model and they're doing what they do best. I think the biggest problem for Levy was he tried to go big time after 2019 with Mourinho, but then Mourinho wants big time money and that's where the big problem is. But I don't think Levy has done anything different than he's done for 20 odd years, but just typical like everything else. Most teams are bored or most fans are bored of it and they're tired of it. And yes, he deserves his stick, but at the same time, Spurs are not the elite top clubs. And there's only one way to do that is is with that bit extra money and obviously trying to get that one over the line. But they're struggling and they're struggling to maintain some of the top players they have. But I think they should go back to what they're good at and being that disruptor club, being the guys who bring in good young talent and make good money on them and then go again because I don't think they'll ever be at the very top. But obviously with the new stadium and trying to bring in new money with F1 deals and everything else, I think that's probably where they're trying to do it because as long as he's in charge, he will never bankroll the really, really, really big books. But as, as I said, I think it's the guys in the middle who get away with the stick. Whoever the middle people are, like the director of footballs, or some of them are football people, some of them are shady business guys, but they're the ones who really bluff a lot of this money away. Most of the time, I don't know exactly how clubs are run, but maybe a bankroll, I don't know how hands-on he is. I think he brings in football people and trusts them, and then if they fail. And I think that's where owners, unfortunately, there's a lot of sharks in the water in this game and I think the easy option is to put all the blame on Levy but, Levy, but to be honest, I don't think he's done much different uh, in his whole tenure there and it's the same with other clubs like your Evans in this world. There's just bad football people wasting the other rich people's money. Uh, to be honest, in, in my ultimate opinion, I don't think uh, it's quite as easy as that but for me, you know, Spurs just imploding the way they are is the epitome of it at the minute and I think it justifies a lot of what Conte said and it just goes to show you like it's obviously stems from the top and he deserves his blame but for him to get it all I just think it's undeserved. Neil, there's no doubt that Daniel Levy when it was when they were on the crest of a wave they got to a Champions League final that he didn't back Pochettino at the time and it was I think there was three transfer windows where he, they, they didn't get any players in 
and that saw that team kind of crumble and that led to the second then of Pochettino. I think it's fair to say that he got that one completely wrong. Is it fair to say that he has, as Dave had said, given plenty of money since then and that this money was... Well, it's the recruitment really more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think, look, right, at the end of the day, you have to recruit based on the way you want to play, based on the manager's identity, based on who the manager wants to bring in. If it is the manager, that's deciding. And a lot of these clubs, it's not. But if you're Conte, just to give you an example, he wants to bring in, he plays a specific style, three at the back, um, or five at the back, depending on how defensive he wants to be. He wants his two holding midfielders, and then he wants a little bit of explosive pace to get him up the field. So he's going to recruit a little bit differently than, say, Pochettino would have, where Pochettino just played a better brand of football. He relied on uh, maybe a diamond or four across the middle, if you remember, even Deli Ali back in the heyday in there. He was very, very good, and he got a trick out of these guys and had them playing good football. So it kind of depends on the recruit. I think at the end of the day, it comes to recruitment based on what the manager wants. Now, let me give you a good example. If you look at Newcastle, they haven't spent a massive money yet, but they're getting the recruitment right. They're building blocks, and you can see where it's going, and it suits the manager, and it suits the style that they play. Whereas you look at Conte, you look at, uh, there's nothing that Mason or Stellini could do after Conte stepped aside. You're stuck with a side that only really has one way of playing, and it's to sit, soak up pressure, and try hitting the break through Son, through Kulisewski, through Kane. Um, but as Dave is saying, it's not, the, it's not the fault of any one individual. It seems to just be, I don't want to say rotten to the core, but it's just symptomatic of the fact that they can't decide, they can't get any bigger playing the way they are. They have to spend more money to get higher. But Spores are who Spores are. They're very successful. They have a brilliant stadium. They have good players. But to make that next jump, is it going to be a different manager that brings a better style? Is it going to be better recruitment? And at the moment now, they seem to be falling short on all then because they're going to have to start again. If they don't bring in a guy in the same vein as Conte, where do they go now? Are are the players that are in the club now uh, going to be good enough for the next manager that comes in or or playing the style that he wants them to play? It's a big shift. It is, Dave. Everything you said there, Neil, is a bit... Sorry, just everything Neil said there is about the pitch. And to be honest, it's whoever is the director of football or whatever. To be honest, I don't know whether Cleaney, I don't know how much uh, how much uh, influence he has on bringing in the players. As far as I'd be concerned, he probably signs the checks. So pretty much all of the indictment, for example, is nothing to do with any league other than show me the money. So I think it's a it's a fine balancing act across the across the way. But you need a scapegoat, and obviously he's going to get it. But that's the biggest reason. And I think with Pochettino, I think the biggest problem was the stadium was being built at the time. All you have to do is look at Arsenal 10, 12 years previous. And it was the same. Things had to go hard for a few for a few years. But everything that Neil said pretty much is all football on the pitch base, which I don't think he really has much of a say or control over. Yeah, uh, well, that's yeah, exactly it. I suppose that was bad, it's bad time. And um, I suppose mm-hmm. Spurs had the highest earning sporting director who, yeah. who they've... Who has pa- not passed away? Because <laughs> they passed away. He hasn't passed away. He he's gone on to uh, leave the club recently uh, in connection with the whole Juventus kind of scandal that's going on there. Um, I think I think I think it's three point two million or something like that a year that he was on. So 
They, he's, ma- he's making good money, but maybe maybe not spending the They're money. They're arguably the biggest shysters in football. Like, alongside agents, those guys in the middle, for every honest one, there's probably three or four dishonest ones who are just in it for a nice earner and whatever happens, happens. You know, you know Daniel Camoli, he's ex as well. He, he has a bit of a reputation. There's many, what's his name, Dennis Wise is up at Newcastle. Now he's with Siri B. Como. Is yeah. he really doing a good job wherever he's going? No, but he's earning good money, let's be honest. And yeah. um, it's those middle guys, I'm telling you. There's, there's a lot of them. There's, there's more bad, unfortunately, more bad eggs than good eggs. Yeah. Who t- Roy, would you give, Roy, would you give um, Levy the, the kind of respect a little bit or at least say try to do a couple of things right? For example, Jose Mourinho and Tony Conte, I wouldn't have seen them as manager of Spurs seven, eight years ago. Like, they're top, top shelf. And to go from, you know, I'm looking back to their managers, by the way, you've got Wanda Ramos, Clive Allen, Martin Yall, Tim Sherwood, and then you have Pochettino, and that led them to Jose Marino, Mason, who was only in for a few months, Nuno Spirito a few months, Antonio Conte. So he has tried to bring in a top-shelf manager. He has, he has but I think with Neil, when he brought in Pochettino, not Pochettino, Mourinho, when he brought in Mourinho, you know what Mourinho is about. And this happened at Manchester United with Mourinho. Mourinho is about yeah. getting ready-made players in and putting them into his philosophy into his shape into his team and he always had that he wanted two players for each position and they had to be ready-made players he wasn't one for really for the youth players yeah you might get a sprinkle yeah. of them there who are there but he always wanted those so those ready-made players cost money you know they always at Chelsea you're seeing how much money they cost to get those ready-made players in so for Spurs and what they were trying to do to bring Mourinho in and try to fit him in on a shoestring for Mourinho's, uh, you know, sort of team, you, you have to give Mourinho that money to be able to buy it. And I remember the frustration in Mourinho's press conferences that he wasn't able to get the players that he wanted to get in. So was he lied to? How did they get him in the door? Like even the fact that they signed, that they signed Mourinho to be their manager, that was still a big statement. But how did Mourinho fall into that trap? He's been around the world often enough like, did it just promise some untold fortunes to say you're going to build that team? And then the second he was in, in the office, go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, now you're going to be Brian Maybe no one from Holland, and that's it. Maybe there was no one bigger, uh, Neil, like in, in terms of the Premier League anymore, because he done United, he done Chelsea, obviously Arsenal and City weren't going to go near him or Liverpool. So it was the next best option if he wanted to stay in the Premier League, regardless of what the budgets were, you know. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, look, he's at Roma now. It's not like they're pulling up any trees either. They wouldn't be the biggest yeah. in Italy. So yeah, but, um, maybe that's it, the downside of Mourinho. Yeah, well, that's it. But he's doing well over there now. You know, he, he, he's, he's won a European competition with them. He has them in Champions League spot. And they'd be delighted. If they got Champions League, they, they're, they're chuffed with that, you know. So he's kind of building something there. And I think he's enjoying it out there as well. So... And they, they they look at him as a god and all that sort of stuff. So it's perfect for him out there now. I don't think Mourinho was past it. When I look back at the Manchester United job that he did, he he did a lot with a lot of frustrations there, where the club, you know, weren't really going with the manager in everything that should have been going on. He called out people a long time ago uh, in the, in that team when he arrived. And he was stuck with them. He couldn't get rid of them, and that was that was probably the the falling of of his time and there because they wouldn't back him. There's a lot of them still there, right? <laughs> and who was the chancellor in the middle? 
who was the champion in the middle of that time. Uh, you know, he's, he's a famous one for being a champion, Ed Woodward. Yeah, big he time. Yeah. Many a time to get top players in, and yeah, well, it's always it's always the Glazers' fault. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Glazers have bankrolled a lot of money on outlays, but it's those guys in the middle. Like I said, when you know them, that's not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Le- Le- Levy is uh, uh, better regarded than the Glazers. At least Levy built something. Mm. The Glazers are, are, are letting that stadium yeah, fall absolutely. apart. So that's it. It's True. probably a little yeah. bit different there. They're willing to put money into the club, all right, but they've taken out a couple of billion. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's not their money. It's well, the, it's the money that's generated by the club. So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, Levy's a god. Okay, right. Uh, Pochettino is uh, speaking of him is is rumored to be ready and set, Neil, to go to Chelsea. How do you think that's going to work out? Because Pochettino going from Spurs, if there was ever a club probably not to go to 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 <laughs> be bounced around left, right, and centre, it's probably Chelsea. Yeah, it, it's it, well, obviously there's the London connection here, and there's the fan base that you know. It, if you look at Rafa Benitez when he went to Everton, you know, everything was grand in the beginning and then, man, it can turn on a dime the minute things start to go bad. And he's going into a Chelsea job, which at the moment, high-profile managers and Frank Lampard can't seem to turn it around. So, I mean, the Chelsea job is a risky job at the moment because they've this unbelievable wage bill. They have an unbelievable team worth of money that they've spent and let's be honest it almost feels like they've overspent twofold on every player that they've bought in the last six months so it's a risky job to have to go in there and say yeah you spent whatever six to eight hundred million and I still need a world class striker go get me it now if he gets the right guarantees and let's be honest this is the opposite of what we're saying there about Mourinho when he wasn't back he should be back to the hilt you would imagine if he's sitting down and discussing um, with the directors in Chelsea, he's saying, I need this, this and this before I get into the job. But he's a massive Cullen job to do there and they're only after buying all these players. So um, I won't say it's a head-scratcher. Pochettino, I think, since he's left Spurs and then Paris Saint-Germain has been basically linked with every job because he always seems to be available and, you know, his name always comes up. But it's, it's a risky job. Look what it's after doing to Graham Potter now. Like, will Graham Potter ever get another job in the elite's based on how badly that went at Chelsea, who knows. Um, but I guess, look, look, if Pochettino goes in, he can't do much worse than what's going on now. He needs a good pre-season. He needs to kind of cull the squad. And then he needs to, you know, start afresh, I guess, over the summer. Dave, so we'll talk about owners again. Todd Bowley in there. <laughs> um, do you feel that he has any blame for what's going on there? Yeah, like... The thing with Todd Bowley, like, seems to be he seems to be one of the more interfering ones, and there's rumours of Neymar at Chelsea, which is not in the least bit surprising. And I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up somewhere like that. And it'll be just the beginning and the end, no matter who the manager is. Look, you know, it's a poison chalice that job at the minute. Like, if there was a, if he was able to sit in the background and be quite happy to sit and watch the football and trust people, fair enough. I would like to think Chelsea can get back quite quick. But they they just seem to be playing fancy football. You've seen some of the boys that they bought in the last two windows, and yeah, no, you can bring in uh, a, a crack team of managers, a three three man team, and it won't make a difference at the moment. That's, it, it, that's what it appears to be like. 
um, at Chelsea because it just it is he's one he's one that definitely wants to be involved and wants to bring in some of these star names. And once I seen that rumor this week, I went, yeah, it doesn't really matter whether Pochettino or whoever comes in. I just really fear for Chelsea until they really get some stability because some of these contracts and the extended Enzo Fernandez again a week or two ago, it just Strange. you're almost waiting for this to implode. And will he get done for financial fair play? Like it, this thing. Yeah, I just don't. I can't see it ending well in in this guy's tenure. Like he doesn't play a long term, and it could be going out in a blaze of glory. I just it it, it just looks like there's very little balance or structure there, and I worry for Chelsea in that sense, and I worry for any good manager because it's definitely a, a potential reputation ruiner if you go there. Yeah, uh, the Chelsea squad is worth uh, just over a billion. Um, yeah, when you look at Enzo Fernandez. The hundred and twenty-one million Fofana, eighty million, Murdoch seventy million, Kukurea sixty-five million, Sterling fifty-six million. There's a lot, and 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 these are the players. These are the players that come in 22, yeah. 23, you know. So and yeah, uh, uh, is there as well. Sorry, thirty-eight million. Oh, there's a few more there. They have thirty millions that are not even getting their game. They have a squad of 31. How did they do a training session with 31 players? Do people get dropped for training <laughs> sessions? It's just, it, it is, it's gone bizarre. Even uh, Aubameyang, who, 12 million. That was the biggest waste of 12 million that has been seen oh, in the Premier League. Yeah. How many Seamus Coleman's did you get for that? Training. <laughs> yeah. They turn up training right They have a money, a money fight Every Tuesday And then uh, go home In their Lamborghini <laughs> Laughing all the way home Oh yeah, yeah can't breathe. Imagine trying to breathe Success right When you're throwing out That kind of money On guys And let's be honest If you're in a dressing room And you're aware That you know Kukure mm. is on 65 million He's on whatever Let's call it I don't know what he is on But let's call it 300,000 And you're You know Gallagher Who's a guy Come up through the academy Or something like that And you could be on like 80 or something like that. And you're looking at him thinking, this guy is absolute terrible. Like there's a big difference when you're looking up to someone you admire in the dressing room that earns that money over a period. And then you have these lads coming in on crazy money. Like is there any appetite to play football? Well, that's it, Dave. It, it how do you, of, uh, how do you get harmony in a, in a dressing room like that? Absolutely. It, 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 Neil said that it reminds me of Joe Fraser's famous phrase. Like it's very hard to get up out of bed in the morning get punched in the face when you're wearing silk pajamas you know <laughs> um, when you get to that top and you hit the heights you know yeah. and I think that's I think that's a disease in the modern game to be honest like every club I think has a few players where you can see they've got the big contracts and the fire is gone already it's like yeah am I really bothered like so many players are hot and cold now whenever they feel like it and some players come alive near the end of a season which is no surprise because there's moves on the cards and then all of a sudden they drop off once they get the move and you know with Chelsea it just seems rotten to the core we talked about Thiago last week Thiago Silva talking about joking about putting an extension into his dressing room and all that but like you've got some mega mega money men in there and of course there's such disarray in the pitch and when you're not getting results on the pitch the knives come out and there's probably clicks and they're probably bitching at each other you know I can only imagine like I'd say it's a very tough atmosphere in there and then no disrespect to Lampard, but I'd say with some of the lads who were there previously, they're going, like, he's back as well. Like, what on earth are we, <laughs> what have we let ourselves in for? Because obviously some of them wouldn't be his biggest fan potentially. Um, so it just, well, it's just a melting pot for disaster at the moment. Mate. 
see the see the team right they picked last night in the game against Brentford so I just mm-hmm. think of when Davis saying there about the old school he basically other than Fofana Fernandez and Sterling who were uh, recent signings every other player was an ex Lampard player Chilwell Alfred Aguera Kante Kovacic uh, Gallagher who we probably sent out on loan Thiago Silva Shalaba and uh, Riza Balaga so all them players he would have had in there. So uh, three players out of the new billions made it into that first 11 and then they got beaten uh, 2-0, absolutely murdered at home. It's, a, it's an unbelievable mess. You'd never see it where Chelsea get beaten 2-0 again and again and again. Is that six losses or something crazy like that? It's just such a ridiculous mess. Yeah, and they're still, I think, still stuck on that 39 points, which they've been for weeks, <laughs> if not now, months <laughs> stuck on that 39 sure, yeah. points. They're still not safe. Liverpool are 14, Liverpool are 14 points away from them. I'm mean, like, how far, how did we get away from them that quickly? Yeah. It just yeah. goes to show you how little points they've met them at. Well, as you said, it's it's five and five, I think, for Frank, is it? It's the, he's lost every game so far. Again, you can't put that down to Frank Lampard. It, it ha- the, the best thing that they could have done, the most sensible thing Chelsea could have done was left Potter in that job till the end of the year. Um, for me, I would have given him the whole summer and then to try and do it. But with the madness already around and surrounding him with getting players left and right and centre, maybe Potter was probably delighted to get out of there. But it's very hard to see where common sense is going to prevail here. Um, yeah. And Pochettino may have a few frustrations if he takes the job because there may be a few chairman signings coming in, as Dave had suggested. Maybe the Neymars of this world uh, it wouldn't surprise you. It really wouldn't surprise you. Okay. Chelsea right now, wouldn't you? Oh, stop. They yeah, have absolutely perfect. They're just short of someone out there doing a dance and throwing a tantrum, aren't right, they? So. We just need one more grenade in this melting pot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Dave, the releva- relegation battle is heating up and tonight Bournemouth seem to have sealed Southampton's chances of staying up. Obviously, it was it was like eight or nine teams a few weeks ago, and it's slowly but surely dwindling as we get to the end. And I think now there's potentially, I think, like the major, I think the three of us would be in agreement that I think one is already as good as done. It's not official, but yeah, that was a big defeat there. And where they're going to get, they're probably 15 points available. They probably need 12 minimum, and that's four out of five. I can't see it happening. Like they're six points now to Forest and. Uh, leads and they're going to obviously pick up points here and there but yeah we've seen this before we've watched many a league and I think for Southampton you know I think unfortunately that's it and it's down to the final two spots so yeah a a team who've been around for a very long time I couldn't tell you the last time they were relegated but it was definitely a long long time ago and uh, yeah another one of the big teams who've been around for a while that will will, will taste the championship next year and when Earlier on, I posted something up in, in our WhatsApp group about Gavin Bazunu being yeah. dropped and then uh, a few few fans, not even Southampton fans, few Irish fans saying that our mm. goalkeepers are overrated, the likes of Kelleher, the likes of Travers, the likes of Gavin Bazunu, and that this is just a sign of it. I've watched Gavin playing this year and he has been rocky quite a bit though, hasn't he, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, like... You know, 
and I'd say this about any keeper regardless obviously you'd, you'd have a little bit more of a soft spot for, for being Irish and there's, there's obviously going to be a tinge of bias but you know he's still early doors he's still very young in terms of goalkeeper um, I was kind of hoping he'd stick out for the rest of the season because if they got relegated being in the championship for another year with them could be the makings of him if they can come back straight up and he could be a really ready-made goalkeeper for the Premier League in two years time kind of thing um, and hopefully that's still going to be maybe part of the plan um, to use him as the ultimate scapegoat, I think it'd be a bit harsh. But yeah, there's been times, and I think it's more on a speed in the distribution. I think I'd notice more so more uh, than kind of dropping howlers or this than the other. I think he sometimes gets gets them into a bit of trouble, and you've seen it once or twice with Ireland as well. But to to kind of class them as overrated, I think is an easy option when they're not really playing all that much. Well, I probably like presume to exclude it. I think it's. A bit rich to say that about the likes of Keller and Travers because unfortunately Travers kind of missed out early on in the season. But uh, hopefully it's not the end of him or anything like that at Southampton and maybe the championship could be the makings of him. Another solid year there, slightly less pressure and less eyeballs on him. And if they come straight back up, it could be it could be the, the making of, of, of a long career at the Premier League level, which will only benefit Ireland then. Yeah, um, I have obviously seen him throughout the year I've seen him do some brilliant things and I've seen him doing some and I mm-hmm. wouldn't say just that on the feet Dave I I, I think his feet mm-hmm. are, are fine and they're asked to do a lot of stuff and you can see the best of keepers making mistakes in the Premier League now because they're mm-hmm. forced to play the ball out I do think that his decision making has been a little bit rocky and I think he's a little bit for, yeah. for the first time a little bit unsure. It, that's even, you know, coming for the cross. He might come for a cross when he doesn't need to and then vice versa. And yeah. I've just seen that kind of, even palming, palming shots back into the middle of a of, of a, a crowded yeah. box rather than away and stuff like yeah. that. But that's, that is a learning curve, isn't it? Of course. That's what you, like everything you just said there, it just seems like maybe the confidence is taking a hit. But that's where, Obviously, they're in a highly pressured position at the minute. So if it's a case of just taking them out for a bit and say, listen, don't you worry, your career is safe here. But look, we just want to take you out of the mental pot for a little bit. But you're grand. Just take it on on board and just settle down and go back to the basics. And maybe that's what it is. Like, it's just... Like, it's a highly pressured situation to be down there in at such a young age. And he will probably feel responsible for, you know, the fact that they're down the bottom and, and him taking some of the blame and, thing, and shouldering it and maybe taking it a bit more to heart and obviously being young and inexperienced, you know, it's, it's, it's a team game and everyone is involved. But hopefully, if Southampton are doing the right thing, it could be just, listen, step out for you're You're okay, don't worry. You know, you're going to be fine here, but just uh, just have a week or two off, you know, and, and hopefully we can see his confidence. Because we've all seen plenty of attention in the game. We've seen him in the early stages and we've seen him with the, in, in, in the uh, League One level or wherever he was with. And obviously, some of the things he's done, like he's, a, he's a fine keeper. It's just, you know, Jesus Christ, it, it, the peak of his powers is many years away. So this is, if, if anything, this should be the making of him, please go. Absolutely, absolutely. You don't learn f- from the good days, you learn from the bad days. Mm. Okay, Neil, we talked about clubs who might be going, who, who never went down. Uh, Everton were one of those clubs. He's got a 4-1 hammer in there tonight. I was looking at their fixtures. Uh, they've got five fixtures left. They're away to Leicester, away to Brighton, home to Man City, away to Wolves, and last game is home to Bournemouth. Where do you see them picking the points up there? Jeez, uh, I tell you, Roy, if you watch everything at the moment, you, the biggest problem is it's just the goals. Where are the goals coming from? They just feel like they're stuck in the same rough from the previous managers. 
Um, they're just an awful, awful trouble. And now they've got a guy in Sean Dyche whose teams traditionally don't really create a whole lot. They're more kind of blood and guts. And, you know, I remember Carragher saying on the Monday Night Football there a couple of weeks ago, everything will be all right because they won't lose games by more than a goal. They'll be high tempo. They'll be in your face. And since then, they've absolutely fallen off a cliff. So their last, excuse me, five games, two draws and three losses, they just don't have goals in them. And now they're second from last. They're on 28 points. So, I mean, let's say they need to hit 36. That's eight points they're going to need where they've picked up two points in the la- out of the last 15. So that's mm. not looking good for them. I, I really do worry about them this season. Now, they've Leicester with them and Forrest with them. Uh, possibly leads with them um, and you're expecting like I mean any game they can win but they've got to knock out two kind of one mils you know pure blood and guts you know most likely home games um, but just every time they seem to come up against anyone with a bit of quality and you know Newcastle pulled them apart they're in big big trouble so uh, they would be I'd, I'd put them and Leicester fairly even at the moment in my mind I, can't, I watched Leicester last night play um, Vardy come on and got them out of jail but still no confidence but they look like they've more going forward but for me Everton just they've had the same problem the last two years they sold Richarlison he's done nothing at Spurs they could really do with a guy like that in their team right now Absolutely I'm looking at these fixtures in front of me Dave the Leicester game is next mm-hmm. so that is absolutely huge but let's just say let's just say they lose that one and they're three points is it three points behind then? Uh, they will be uh, behind Leicester. They will be four points behind Leicester if they lose that yeah. one there. So that that would be a big thing. But then their next game is Brighton away, and it's very hard to see Everton yeah. be Brighton away at this stage. Brighton playing really, really, really good football. Um, yeah, for Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Then you've got Everton at home or Man City at home. And that just, you just can't see anything okay, there. Man, so that could, be the, that could be the day Man City win the league. So they're not, they're going to show up, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely. So then they've got Wolves and Bournemouth. Now it's Wolves away and then Bournemouth ah. to home. But even if Leicester lose every game as well, bar beating Everton mm-hmm. in that game, mm-hmm. Everton have to win them two last games to have a chance of staying yeah. up. It just, it, it, this Leicester game is, is absolutely massive. Oh, absolutely. And like like what we said about Southampton there, like you have to rely on teams who haven't done it all year and don't look good enough to win three or four out of five. And one of them might pull it out of the bag, but not two or three of them. And right now, Everton certainly don't look like that side. And just to double down on what Neil said, they're the worst attack in the league. They've only scored 25. Uh, Southampton are next with 27. There's no goals there at all. Cabot Loom still injured. Mopey. I'm not going to say anything on that. He's 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 a he's a partner. He's not the goal scorer, and there's no goals anywhere else. Ellis Sims just brought in. God love him. And to be honest, they should have brought back in Tom Tom Cannon by the looks of it instead of him. And um, on his form of precedent, but uh, I was always confident with everything. But it's been bashed out to be quite quick. And those five fixtures, I'm like two wins and a draw, three wins really. I can't see where they're going to get them. I really don't. I mean, it's unfortunate this could be the year, but then again, we've been here before with Everton and somehow they pull it out of the bag. And if they still something to fight for on that last game, I'll, I'll completely flip-flop. If they something to play for on that last game, they'll probably win it now and then. But um, it might be done and dusted before that. 
Yeah. They're bring, gone, lads. They're gone. They're gone. Well, bring back <laughs> bring back Barry Horn. Finish it off on the last day of the season. Uh, yeah, I was looking at Leicester's fixtures. Obviously, the Everton game, uh, but then they pull them away. They're playing Liverpool then next, then Newcastle, and then they have West Ham in the last game. So that's what makes that Leicester and Everton game so big that when you look at some of the Absolutely. other games, it's going to be so hard for them to get points. So... Yeah, it's big. I look at the rest of the d- division there uh, down in the relegation zone. And when I look at, as we said, Southampton, Everton, Leicester, who are in the bottom three, a point ahead of them is not Forest and Leeds. I just have a feeling Leeds are going to get dragged back into it because there's a lot of huffing and puffing with Leeds at the moment. And I did see them the other night and, you know, they, they got the draw against Leicester but really Leicester as you said Dave weren't, weren't great and Leeds just seem to be huffing and puffing and, and the likes of Bamford missing the easy chances they have oh. Bournemouth next what a game to have as well uh, to try and stay up but that could be their big game because they have City Newcastle West Ham and then Spurs and the games just look very difficult for some of these teams down there and I just think Forrest are going to get over do you think what, what do you think about Leeds Dave. Yeah, Dave, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Dave, it, it was such yeah, a long no. talk there that if Dave was at the start there somewhere, <laughs> we all forgot. <laughs> yeah, no, Leeds and Forest for me are banging it as well. I thought we were going to ignore them there. I was like, Jesus, there to be people having an absolute fit if we don't mention them as well. They're smack banging it as well. But would you fancy those two ahead of potentially the others? Maybe. Look, Forest have, um, sorry, just quickly. Yeah, Brentford away on Saturday, then to Hampton at home, Chelsea away. Arsenal at home and Palace away. That's a nice run of fixtures. It's not bad, it? It's not bad. Two, that's not bad. So that's why I probably have them maybe a slight favourite compared to everyone else. But then, as you said, the dreaded lead, it's it's the, it's the six-pointer now at the weekend. And then after that, you're like, City, forget about it. Newcastle. You're kind of hoping Newcastle, you know, you have such a gap now where they start to... I don't... Eddie Howe wouldn't like it, but will the players start to have the summer in mind? I don't know. You might get lucky. But I'm clutching here, do you know what I mean? West Ham is another one where they'll probably, West Ham will want to make sure they might need the point just to get away. And then scores might be ideal for them, but the damage could be done before that. So, yeah, I think out of the four of the two spots, I think Forrest would be the favourite. And then, yeah, watching Leeds the other day and the Bamford miss, I just got that eerie feeling that, yeah, you thought you did enough a few weeks ago and now you're just right back in the thick of it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it, it, I was watching I was watching Leeds, right, what was it, three weeks ago against Crystal Palace and they were playing at mm-hmm. home and they were 1-0 or whatever it was, half-time. It was neck and neck, probably. I think Palace nicked the goal. Come out in the second half and Leeds shipped four goals and they lost the game. It was a yeah. 5-1, I think, was at the end. And so I was thinking, that is incredible how good they were in the first half. They should have been three up they came in at one all and then got absolutely blown off the pitch and they just have that in them where they have a weak spot. They're 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 gamey and they're good going forward and I think at home in particular with the crowd behind them, they're very, very up for it, but they're so fragile at the back and if they can't outscore, you just worry about them. I, I, yeah, they're one of these again. But yeah, I think they have a big right game in of the likes of Spurs. They could overturn the Spurs, but can they win two games, three games? Pfft. Very difficult ask. It's a joint worst defence there. You're dead right. Sit them and Bournemouth in 63. Like that's them in a nutshell, unfortunately. Okay, we're, we're going to finish off with, of course, the big game that was on this week with Arsenal and Manchester City. <laughs> 
Neil, I know there's a lot of thing going around that Arsenal are bottlers and um, <laughs> and I think Paddy Power had something outside the Emirates Stadium, didn't they? <laughs> the, the other they did, day. I did a truck driving boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A big bottle on the back of it. <laughs> but in all fairness, I don't. I think Arsenal, when you look at it, Saliba at the back in the back line, it was huge at the start of this season. Everyone was raving about him, and the minute it's no coincidence that the minute he he drops out of the team, that they start dropping points. And Arsenal's squad is just not as big as Manchester City's squad. And I think that's where it comes down to. Barry, you have the De Bruyne and the Haaland factor, but what's your thoughts on on why it's kind of crumbled a little bit? Um, if I take that game in isolation, Roy, I think the game last night was just it was something that we would have alluded to around the Christmas period. Where do you know why we always say in order to challenge for a title, you need to kind of be in a title race, maybe come close, kind of recover over the summer, recruit a little bit, and then come out the next year with the bit between your teeth. It's that kind of experience of losing that you use then to go on and win. Now, it's hard to do that in the Premier League because City have that. They've had it for seven or eight seasons and they're just temperamentally brilliant. They they showed up last night with... It was just incredible to watch. It was like watching them versus an under-16s at some stage. Arsenal went into their shell, but all the City players expressed themselves. They were able to play the game. They knew they could play. The big guns showed up on the big game, which was De Bruyne and Haaland were just unbelievable. De Bruyne was incredible. Um, and that was just the, game, the, the the nature of the game. So for Arsenal, that game was just a bridge too far. They don't have the experience in the big occasions like that, maybe because they haven't been in Champions League football, you know, a couple of semi-finals, quarter-finals, where, you know, it's in a cauldron and you have to still play your best football. So that's that game in isolation. Other than that, in the last few weeks, I just think that Arsenal just, you know, they've kind of found their level. They were on a high... They rode the crest of the wave. They were playing beautiful football. What I'd say, a little bit like when you watch Aston Villa at the moment, it's shot to nothing football where there's no expectation on you. You just go out and everything becomes easy and you play a team off the pitch and you look beautiful. But when it matters, when the big games come up, and when I say big games, it doesn't have to be Arsenal City. It, it was then Arsenal versus anybody. And all of a sudden, when the pressure was on, when they had to win, they just didn't have it in the tank. And it's nothing against them. I just think they need that experience. You look at Saka, you look at Martinelli, these young kids, they needed maybe another season of this to then possibly go on to the next level. Yeah, Dave, it's a brilliant season for Arsenal. From what where they were last year, it's, it's a brilliant season. They finished second, absolutely yeah. brilliant. They're back in Champions League football. They can go and they get a few quid. They can go and purchase players that can help improve them. So this is a huge stepping stone for them. But just on the end of this season, I'm looking at Manchester City's fixtures. They've got Fulham. They've got West Ham. They've got Leeds. Oh. They've got Everton. They've got Chelsea. Uh, Brighton and Brentford. Brighton are probably the best of of the lot, and then maybe maybe even Brentford, the, the second best of the lot. They'll win them all, almost. They, they'll win them. They probably won't even have to worry about the last two games against Brighton and Brentford because they'll probably have it wrapped up by then, won't they? Yeah. No. Like, look. Uh, you know, me and Neil will, will tell you the two runners up medals that the Liverpool lads have. Like, you know, this year with this, the last 10, 15 games of the season, like, you know, 
like you think you've done enough and it's still not good enough and you lose like Arsenal probably knew that as well and as soon as they dropped that first draw they kind of oh that little five points with a game in hand all of a sudden it's yeah, three points with a game just get I think uh, I think they just tightened up a little bit and that's what it is more than anything um, and then City this is just the business end of the season you draw a game in October it's okay or November you draw at the end of March or, or, or at the end of or the start of April it, it, it's it's weight is just far heavier and it could be incredibly damaging to your confidence and I think that's what it is it's the business end of the season it just got a bit squeaky to tighten up but if you look at Arsenal, say, their record at the end of last season, and then you look at their record by the end of this season, it'd be a massive improvement, and you can't help but say that's a fantastic season. But just obviously, there will be a, an awful change of disappointment when you look at where they were, say, three or four weeks ago, and that's where the bottle job thing comes in and all that kind of crap. But if they look at themselves and at the end of the year and where they were and where they were this year, that's where they need to pull the positives and say, yeah, we've had a taste of it now, do you think you can do it next year and a bit more? Do you think you have it in the in the, in the togs now? We've had a taste of it. We know what needs to be done. Now let's roll up our sleeves and do it again. And I definitely think there's an element to that. So as much as it's more, I think, banter for some people in terms of the slagging, I, I think deep down when it's over, Arsenal and, and, and the people that matter should look at it and say, we're only going one direction and this is just the start of it. Yes, taste the, taste the, the disappointment. But we don't want to be back here again, and we know we know what we need to do now. And it, it could be the makings of them being part of the great, the next great rivalry in the game. And with a bit of luck, other teams joining as well, and it's not just going to be two horse races anymore. But uh, yeah, like for me, it's still going to be a great season for Arsenal. But uh, they 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 will obviously have a, a bit of disappointment because of that picture that it looked so pretty there two, three or four weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, right. We uh, know the league is over. We know Southampton are relegated. I think we had a thing not so long. When was yeah. it? Oh, it was a couple of months ago, I think it was. That's it. The title was over because uh, I think City, did City beat Arsenal a couple of months ago? Anyhow, it was just, yeah. you, you just know that things were changing you know even though Arsenal were going along you could see City it was all about City you could see them gaining in confidence and starting to play the football that they normally play at this time of the year yeah it's I, it, it was it was predictable right, enough Roy if you heard the interview sorry go did you hear the interview with Pep last night where he said we lost a game in November and this, this dressing room almost didn't react as if no big deal and he had to kind of lay down the law to them as if to say, this is a big deal because you're letting them get too far ahead. And then he said, then the players knew we had to get into gear. In other words, you remember Man United used to do it years ago where Ferguson didn't really care if they lost the game pre-Christmas because you knew after Christmas they'd win, you know, 18 out of 20 games. It was that kind of statement with Pep saying, we didn't panic, but we knew we couldn't leave it another game. We now had to go up several gears. And that's exactly what they've done. We've all been waiting for it. We've all been kind of saying, we think they'll do it. And inevitably, they bloody do it. And man, they do it in some style last night. Should Haaland play with the hair up or down, lads? He's caught with the hair down. <laughs> 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 it looked 
ridiculous. Even, he, even he thought the game was over. He had the hairband in his wrist, and all of a sudden, there he is running off with the paint flowing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it think ridiculous, but I don't, funny to see. That's it. I don't think it makes a difference if his hair is up or his hair is down or his <laughs> or his laces are tied or untied it's it's, it's, it's we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll discuss the real matters on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay right we're going to leave it there Neil and Dave thanks very much uh, thanks very much for listening in again and we'll talk to you next week